0: You're listening to the Live Free Now podcast, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. Find us online at livefreenow.show. And now your host, John Bush. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Live Free Now show. Bringing, a, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. And today we are going to be talking about politics. And we're going to be talking about anti-politics. The topic for today's show is Trump, Biden, and why I haven't voted in 10 years. And we're going to be breaking down all sorts of stuff. I, uh, I usually don't concern myself with politics, but I certainly follow along. It's it's pretty entertaining and the election this year is an absolute shit show circus totally nuts and there's a lot to a lot to discuss but i'm going to give my analysis on all sleepy joe aka creepy joe aka vice president joe biden and donald trump the donald the orange man going to break all that down and i'm going to talk about why I prefer direct action, counter-economics, the creation of alternative institutions, why I prefer all these different routes as a means of bringing about societal change. So we're going to break all that down. We're going to talk about Libertarian Party as well, because I see a lot of Libertarians are super excited about voting for old Jojo Jorgensen. So we're going to talk about that. As well. I want to invite you to go to livefreenow.show and subscribe to the podcast if you have not yet. Livefreenow.show. There's a lot of listeners, a lot of people are banging on that RSS feed. So I want to thank all the podcast listeners. We're also streaming live on a handful of different channels. Conscious Resistance Network channel is still down, unfortunately. We got pinged for a Kratom video and previously had gotten pinged for a mask video from our good friends in, in India. But that'll be back hopefully in about a week or so. And real quick, I want to shout out one of our sponsors, Brave Botanicals, not Kratom this time, like this for the viewing audience, but today we're going to promote CBD, cannabidiol. It is a cannabinoid in the cannabis plant, unlike THC, another cannabinoid. It doesn't get you high, does feel kind of good and help take the edge off, but we offer CBD oil, 500 milligram, CBD, 1500 milligram, great for sleep, restlessness, Pain, relaxation, it helps to uh, minimize inflammation. So we have these here. And then we also have CBD flower. Look at that. We got an eighth here and a quarter here. Selling some weed. It has less than 0.3% THC concentration, so it's definitely legal in all 50 states. But you can get that at mybraebotanicals.com. Just click on CBD. All right, we are going to be going to some of your comments and uh, commentary as we go, but let's get right down to it. The first thing that really boggles my mind, but I understand it, is how every four years, so many people can get so completely worked up. And like, there's a huge... I'm not even going to say awakening. Awakening is not the right word, but there's a huge increase in discourse and an increase in fighting and an increase in division. And it's not good for people's psyche. There's this classic left-right paradigm, right? And something that I've been aware since the 2006 election, when in 2004 I voted for John Kerry, I thought he was going to get everyone out of the war. And I thought I was a Democrat just because I was so uh, I found George W. Bush to be so abhorrent and the military incursions into Afghanistan and Iraq, a total fraud. And in 2006, if you recall, the Democrats took control of both the House and the Senate, and they did so with promises that they were going to defund the Iraq war. Well, of course, that didn't happen. And that was a big eye opener about the whole false left, right paradigm that really they're just two different arms of the same military industrial complex was the thinking now. Now we know that they're really two different arms carrying out this global agenda, Agenda 21, the global reset on the horizon as well. Now we still have that left, right paradigm, but it's even more polarized and more extreme In that there's fringe groups on the outside, the Antifa, uh, radical lefties, and there's like boogaloo, militia types. And so there's even more tension and more polarization right now. But this left-right paradigm has led to so many problems in this country. It's led to an environment where people are willing to support someone, to vote for someone that they don't even really support they basically define their politics as I stand for what that guy isn't, right? It's like an anti-politics. It's not a proactive politics. It's a reactive politics. We talk a lot about proactivity and, and reactionary paradigms on this program, and that's definitely what it is. And it the, the way to describe this, of course, is the lesser of two evils phenomenon. And so... You have one clown running against another clown, but because people believe one clown to be so absolutely terrible, they're willing to vote for another clown. And that's exactly where we find ourselves today. And the Democratic Party put up such a weak candidate, not only weak physically and with his energy and fatigue, and they're both really old men, Trump and Biden, Uh, But he is weak in that he's simply more establishment garbage, and he's been around for 47 years and hasn't cleaned up some of the problems that he has uh, professed to be concerned with. Of course, he wasn't just the vice president under Barack Obama, who's quite possibly one of the most popular presidents ever since JFK. Uh, And so that's, I guess, his big claim to fame, and he's always riding Obama's coattails, but Joe Biden's definitely a total insider and it should come as no surprise that the Democratic Party would pick an insider. One thing that I will say about Trump, about the Donald. He represents a shift, a change in the course of the office of the presidency. Okay, so there's all sorts of folks out on my friends list and I'll be listening to this podcast. A good chunk of them support Donald Trump. There's some of them that are just conservatives that are in my circle, there's some of them that were former libertarians or maybe they still identify as a libertarian, which is a tough cookie to crack there if you're a libertarian supporting Donald Trump. Some of them are formal Ron former Ron Paul guys. There's a whole contingent of the Ron Paul revolution that shifted alt-right and that went far right. There's another contingent of the Ron Paul revolution that went left in tactics. I'm one of those people. uh, I thought I was a conservative Republican, went to the Republican convention in Texas. I shifted radical as far as how I want to go from here to there. There's also folks that shifted left as in social justice, police accountability, equality type stuff. But the Donald, at least, the point that I wanted to make is there's people listening that'll be like, oh, no, he's a fraud. He's part of the Uh, It's controlled opposition. This is part of the play. Then there's other people that are like, no, he is a saint, 40 chess, Q, so on and so forth. So we're going to examine all that in the context of, of what I believe is that Donald Trump is an authoritarian. And that's why I'm not supporting him, even though. As I was going to say, he does represent a departure from the status quo. Okay, he's still status quo in most instances in that he believes that government is a mechanism to bring about good in the world. He's a statist. Right. But at least it's not the same Bush Clinton crime family. Right. So if you remember uh, President Carter. Uh, His administration was all full of trilaterals and Zbigniew Brzezinski, for example, right? And then people thought perhaps that Reagan was a departure from that, a conservative departure from that. When in reality, uh, the establishment's guy was put in as vice president, George Herbert Walker Bush, who's a former head of the CIA and who's a total insider, the epitome, the essence of insiders, right? Uh, His father was even an insider, Prescott Bush in all sorts of secret societies and uh, also involved with the National Socialists, the Nazis in Germany. And so after Reagan, Bush becomes the president. He gets the United States into the United Nations Agreement, Agenda 21. Uh, Total insider, continued all sorts of expansion of wars in the Middle East. And then after Bush, it was Clinton which people appears? oh, it's a departure. Now the Democrats in office, but Clinton is part of this the same Bush-Clinton crime syndicate family, status quo, uh, Anglo-American establishment, these American elites. Um, and then, of course, after Bill Clinton, it was George W., right? Just continuing on this nonsense. And then he was against Al Gore. This would have been still the same kind of deal. Gore was Clinton's vice president you know, and they are both consummate insiders. And of course, Gore is all into the United Nations, Agenda 21, environmentalism as a means of control. He was responsible for really pushing the whole climate change narrative out there into the world. And then after Bush, we get Obama with Clinton, Hillary Clinton as the secretary, right? So this is how things were for quite some time in uh, the United States, as far as the presidency goes. Now, I will say, Trump does represent something different in that he is has not, has not wholeheartedly bought into the globalist approach. And it's not just in rhetoric, which is most certainly there, but it's also in some of the policies that he's enacted, specifically pulling the United States out of a lot of these trade agreements, which are further steps on the road to serfdom, on the road to globalism. And so that's good. But still. A lot of what we talk about on this program isn't just anarchism, libertarianism, agorism, but we also explore the conspiratorial view of history. And in those conversations, we've discussed the uh, the prominence, the importance, the power that lies in roundtable groups, public and private secret society type groups. And some of those big groups, of course, are the Bilderberg Group, the Trilateral Commission and the Council on Foreign Relations. And even though Trump on the surface appears to be a departure from the status quo, he still stacked his administration with plenty of people from Bilderberg Trilateral Commission, as well as the Council on Foreign Relations. I don't know how many of all those people stuck around, but last when I checked in 2016, 2017, uh, it was full. There's a great article on uh, old. It's an old Steemit article. We'll try to link to it in the show notes, but it shows all of the folks in his administration. So I'm going to give some a little more analysis on Trump versus Biden, right? Because I'm not voting, but to be honest, I would much prefer Trump in the presidency than Joe Biden, right? But as an anarchist, as an agorist, I can't bring myself to support Trump because he's an authoritarian of uh, to the nth degree. And so what we see here is a departure, a shift, right? It's not even a full departure because there's still an entire political class and political machine and the swamp, as Trump calls it, that exists in Washington, D.C. But what we see in Trump's rhetoric and his efforts is a departure from the globalism, which was completely increasing at a very rapid rate, still increasing after COVID. We see a departure from globalism back to nationalism, okay? And nationalism is not your friend either. What we genuinely need is individualism. That's what the answer is. Uh, We can have collective action and supporting one another and engaging in mutual aid and trade and voluntary exchange, of course, and defending one another, Um, but the collective shouldn't be given authority and rights in and of itself, right? The collective doesn't even really exist. It's an abstract construct. It's called reification when you try to make that, which is abstract real. And so even though there is a, mm, there's an effort to bring authority away from the supranational, international level back to the nation state, right? So that would appear as though that's a step in the right direction, but there's such a strong emphasis on nationalism and the power of the state that it's it's problematic and uh, can lead to a, a lot of problems, as we saw with National Socialism. And you know, additionally, there is a lot of propagandizing that's going to be taking place with the Trump administration as far as further nationalism. So the left socialists and the radicals, they have had influence in the public education for young children in this country. And there seems to be this element of Marxism, socialism, rejecting the uh, appreciation and fondness for the United States, the history of the United States. right? And Trump is pushing back on that, resisting against that. And Trump has said that they, you know, that we can't let these Marxists control the education of the children. And so he wants to control the education of the children with a different type of indoctrination. Right. And so, sure, Trump was right that we shouldn't have market Marxist indoctrination in the public schools. But then he unconstitutionally wants to create uh, a pro U.S. indoctrination, a pro federal government indoctrination, a pro nation state indoctrination and while some may say that is preferable this is america after all there are american public schools there are some good things and a rich history that this country does enjoy the further indoctrination of our children to adhere to the authority of the nation state will only continue to perpetuate the government's control and dominion over free people which is a problem so there's let's let's talk about voting we're going to talk more about trump and his policies and old biden boy in a in a little while um, there is a problem that a lot of people have, and the problem is the abrogation of responsibility and dominion over their own lives. And every time there's an election, people see the politicians and the candidates as some sort of superhero that's going to step in and fix all of their lives and the country's problems. And this abrogation of responsibility, this giving over willingly, consensually giving over authority, uh, has a lot of downfalls. It's much preferable that we free people recognize That we are the masters of our reality and that if there are problems in the world, it is up to us to go out and fix those problems and bring about positive change in our lives, in our community. But when people just simply wait to go down to the ballot box and expect these politicians to fix problems for them, then they've given up responsibility over their lives in essence. And I think that's a problem. And most of my audience is libertarian, libertarian libertarian-leaning, anarchist-voluntarist. And I want to challenge those folks that are libertarian whose goal is a free society. That if if your goal is a free society, the best way to achieve that doesn't involve empowering the government, supporting the government, even if it's a libertarian candidate. It involves going out, getting your hands dirty, and creating – an environment creating institutions, creating organizations, creating entrepreneurial enterprises that will help to protect your sovereignty, that will create an environment where you can realize your true freedom without being crushed. And if we just simply find ourselves in this cycle, this perpetual cycle of elections, then it's not going to do us any good. We have to take responsibility for the situation that we find ourselves in and do something about it. And that doing something about it isn't just voting it's it's just not a good thing and a lot of people get all worked up about it. Look, there's democratic socialists out there. There's progressives, dems. There are conservatives, there's right-wing republicans, nationalists, and these people, they they love government. And they want governments to carry out their goals and their values and their their guys policies. This in itself is creating a whole lot of division. And what happens with the federal government, it's just such a giant US geographic area that has so many people in it. And when you have such power with the central government, it's destined to have division and polarization be a result of that. Because we have this one-size-fits-all top-down policy where every four years or every two years, if someone takes over the House of the Senate, one of the parties does, every four years, the somebody's policies are inflicted upon the other group of people. So it's like, okay, I want my guy to win so he can force my values and my preferred policies on everyone. And the other team's like, hey, I want my guy to win so he can force his preferred values on everyone. But then if their guy doesn't win, then they're going to be all pissed off and jaded and frustrated and like have Trump derangement syndrome because they're going to have to live the next two to four years with somebody else's policies on them. And I wish that they could see. I wish everyone could just see. Why don't we just honor everyone's unique values and preferred means of organization and relating to other humans and opt out of the state entirely? Right. So even. The progressives, the statists, right? Those that prefer state as a means of organizing society, even those individuals and groups, they still insist on the state as a means of organizing society, knowing that if their guy doesn't win, then they're going to be subjected to all this stuff it'd be great to just to see another way of doing things. And again, it's always good to bring authority closer to the individual. There's this principle called subsidiarity which is uh, first espoused in the Catholic Church, I believe, that authority should vest at the lowest possible place with the person, the local church, for example. And so I would like to see and I think that we might see uh, Balkanization of this country, broken up into regions, into clusters of states. Some of the states opting out. That would at least allow a little bit more authority over your lives, and maybe erode a little bit this phenomenon of of another group really controlling and pushing all their policies on you. But it's it's problematic. But still, at least with libertarians, let's chat about the Libertarian Party. Then we're going to get back to some. Um, the Trumpster and, and the Biden in this particular election. Uh, but before I do that, let me share with you. I haven't voted in 10 years and I voted in just about every single election for almost a decade and really nobody ever won that I voted for except for one person. That was judge Melissa Goodwin here in Travis County. And I voted for her because she was a, a supposedly a Ron Paul Republican, although she wasn't very libertarian. And I also went before her when I got an illegal U-turn ticket and me and my dad were prepared to defend ourselves. We went up and looked at the law and saw that uh, I didn't, in fact, break the law because the U-turn wasn't a certain distance away from where the little accident. I was about to do a U-turn. Somebody rear ended me. And so uh, we went before the judge, Judge Melissa Goodwin, and the prosecution was like some young Peckerwood fresh out of law school, and he wasn't prepared. And she gave him a hard time about it and ended up dismissing the case because he wasn't ready. So I thought that was cool. But I did vote for her and she actually won. Wow. So I voted for the dog catcher elections. I voted, obviously, the president, the midterm, the primaries. I participated and I didn't feel represented. I don't even feel represented by the Libertarian Party members that are running. Um, I can't really think of any of them that really adhere to my values, not to mention the fact that I don't want to have a state. I don't want to have even if someone's running to reduce government. I don't think that's the way to do it. Right. The government's not going to voluntarily give away power. And unfortunately for the Libertarian Party, here's a big point on the Libertarian Party. The voting public doesn't want freedom like you do. The voting public appreciates the presence of the state so they can force their views upon other people. That's what the government's all about. So that's what the voting public wants. They don't want libertarianism. It's one of the reasons LP has a hard time is because their strategy is weak. It's because they come off as Republican light. It's because they, the party as a whole really needs to learn a whole lot about marketing, proper marketing. Um, But it's also because the voting public doesn't really value freedom like we libertarians do. So I decided that the best way to carry out my goals to see my values have a little bit of footing in society is to start furthering and proliferating alternative institutions. Okay, so that's why I believe the best thing to do for people that subscribe to libertarianism, freedom, anarchism, voluntarism is go out there and start building and creating and living as free as possible regardless of who is in office, regardless of what the politics are of the day, regardless of what the general public believes. We need to go out and demonstrate and build and show that freedom really really works. And it's a very beautiful thing. And more people should should take part in this beautiful experiment, the experiment that we call freedom. So I um, gave up on voting and I prefer self-governance. Another reason why I think voting is bad news bears, I have a general policy of not participating in any governance unless I'm coerced to I try to stick to that as as much as possible. So for example, for a while, I was a little more extreme. I didn't have a driver's license. That was, it was expired for like three years and I would drive around with expired tags and registration. I wouldn't renew the registration for a couple of years until I would get in trouble. Um, But then I had children and that started to become less and less convenient. But I still try to maintain this policy of, unless there's the threat of coercion, jail time, difficulty then I'm not going to voluntarily participate in in government programs. And one of those voluntary programs that you're not coerced into participating in is voting. And so as an anarchist, as a voluntarist, I don't want to give tacit consent. I don't want there to be the illusion that I consent to this institution. Um, I don't want to give the state any credence whatsoever. I really want to have nothing to do with it. And so that's one of the reasons why I don't vote. Now, I will say. I will say, because this is a challenge and I always like to bring up objections in my head. I'm not the type of guy that will like, he'll be speaking or he'll have some sort of thought or policy or idea or position. And then there's these objections that he knows about and he's conscious of, but then he doesn't reveal them. I think it helps to strengthen the argument and it helps with conversation and discourse whenever we can bring up all of the objections. It's also a sales tactic. I learned from old Grant Cardone, like when you're selling something, You navigate the conversation so that the objections come up so you can go ahead and address them and move on from them. And so one of the objections, of course, is what about like stuff like decriminalizing cannabis or legalizing cannabis? Now, a lot of people say we don't care about decrim or legalizing weed because we are going to smoke anyway. We're still smoking cannabis, even though it's illegal, for example, right? And I think one problem with that train of thought is that, sure, for like the suburban dude in the middle class family, it's probably safer for him to be smoking cannabis than the young minority youth in a low income neighborhood where the cops are constantly coming through and harassing people. Right. Not to mention some people have greater access to defend in court. Some people just get run through the ringer. So that's one thing to consider when it comes to decrim, right? I don't want to use the word privilege, but that's the word that's used to describe this phenomenon, right? Some I don't like to use the word privilege because it shouldn't be a privilege to not be oppressed or to not be harmed, right? It takes away the impetus from the aggressor, from the violent state. But legalizing marijuana seems like something that would be worthy of support, right? These single issue propositions, ballot measures, for example, Another thing, like if one of my close friends were to run, like Derek Bros ran for Houston for Houston mayor recently. And I don't know what his aspirations were if he thought that he was actually going to win. I don't think it was really ever about that. Although most a lot of Libertarian Party guys that that are running, they like like a lot of people think Jojo Jorgensen has a shot at winning, I guess. And they just deceive themselves to believe that. But, uh, you know, if I was in Houston and Derek Bros was running, I might support him just Because he's my friend, right? More so than some belief in this grandiose idea that we're going to vote for these people in power and they're going to save us all and life is going to be better. I reject that. I'm against that. And I don't think that is the case. So that's a little about me. Let's go to some of the comments here. This is a, a podcast where we're just kind of riffing and ranting and raving here. We don't really have a format. In fact, we never really do have a format. It's just much of a lot of free flow off the cuff kind of stuff. And, that, and I like it that way. And I hope that you do. You do, too. So, uh, burn itches says I've never cast a ballot in my life. All right, Bern, I'm curious how old you are. Looks like you got a good, pretty, pretty good run there. Nine Lives looks like they're uh, listening in from New Zealand. Election Day in New Zealand today. And then they have a little poop emoji and a skull and crossbones. Nine Lives with a little cat. That's nice. Burn Itches says, I'd still rather have Trump over Biden. You know, I can't help but agree with you. Uh, we're going we're gonna to spend the rest of the podcast talking about some of that stuff as well. And then I want to do a pitch for Freedom Cells as, as if I haven't already. A quick one because people are looking for something to do and they feel like they've done some sort of noble activity by going and marching off and voting. They're participating civic duty is a word that often comes up. And I want to show people, a lot of people are looking for solutions They're looking for something to do to further their goals and to create more freedom. We got something pretty cool that we'd invite everyone to, to participate in Alyssa Monet Mason says, I agree with you, John. I voted for Trump in 2016. However, I can't vote for him again. Plus I live in Delaware, which sucks. So I certainly won't vote for Biden yeah Biden's just so terrible and just rubs me the wrong way all the time double down I'm voting for Daffy Duck 2020 that would be an interesting presidency TLAV and John Bush both streaming at the same time who do I pick decisions I guess I'll stick with you John all right I don't know what TLAV is but I appreciate you sticking with me and we appreciate you rocking and rolling moving and grooving. Theocrat says when the chairman saw Ron Paul supporters were getting everything passed, including a full Ron Paul delegate slate, he got mad stomped out the back, stealing the sign in sheets. Yeah. There was chicanery all over the place when it came to the delegate process. It, it brings up a lot of, it brings up a lot. The entire process is rigged. It's a game. It's more of a selection than an election. This goes all the way through the process. Now, some people say that they believe Trump to be controlled opposition, that he was in fact selected. So we can play some of those scenarios out. But I just want to point out even the DNC and the RNC process through and through is completely controlled. And if anybody participated in the 2008 and 2012 Ron Paul for president campaign, he actually did have some popularity and some traction, not a majority. But there was all sorts of chicanery that took place and really uh, illustrated how corrupt and controlled the machine the machine really is. OK, so if Trump were to be controlled opposition, which I don't think he is, I think he genuinely threw the establishment for a curveball. He, he, he was a total curveball. I don't think that the Anglo-American establishment, the Clinton Bush crime family, the predominant political players, Council on Foreign Relations, trilateral Bilderberg. I don't think they wanted him to get in office. Now, the play would be, and this still, I believe, is the play. The play would be if, the, if it was a deep level 4D chess by the New World Order, so to speak, then this would probably be a good play. Let's get this the most divisive person in office that we can find, and let's amp up the division and the polarization, and let's poke and prod the American public for a civil war so we can create order out of chaos, right? So we can have collapses and societal destruction and economic problems, and the internationalists can step in with UN troops, UN programs, whatever, right? Now, I don't think that that was the play, but I do think that those in power, mind you, in previous episodes, we've talked about how they have multi generational plans and programs in place, right? Going back to the Cecil Rhodes, the Rhodes Scholarship, the Milner Group, the Roundtable Groups, Inter- a Royal Institute for International Affairs in England, the Council on Foreign Relations, Bilderbergers, Council, Committee of 300. Is it Council 300 or Committee 300? Committee of 300. These groups are all plotting and creating programs that take Uh, decades and centuries in order to come to fruition. And so they have backup plans and plan A, B and C, right? And so I presume what the program is now with the Trumpster in power, having surprisingly taken the presidency, uh, the program would be to sew up that division, to play up that division, to create this discord and chaos. And, a, and again, another problem, reaction, solution. I think that's really what is what is taking place. But I, 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 for one, don't think Trump is controlled opposition. I don't think that the people in power wanted him to get in power. Here we have a comment. Let's go to another comment here. Theocrat. I really like your freedom cell concept, but you need to capture the sheriff's office to enforce the Bill of Rights. Okay, so I've met Sheriff Richard Mack on numerous occasions and um, heard him speak and spoke at the same conferences back in the early 2010s. And I'm hip to the whole concept and the Constitutional Sheriff's Association or Peace Officers Association And that's great. Yeah. If you can live in a county where the sheriff is like minded or if you can get a like minded sheriff in office, by all means, that would greatly benefit your pursuit of freedom, especially if they can create a defensive shield protecting the citizens or the people in that county from federal incursion, which is a lot of what Sheriff Richard Mack talks about. For those that aren't familiar with Sheriff Richard Mack, he was a sheriff that took the Brady bill all the way to the Supreme Court back in the 90s and was able to uh, reduce some of its enforcement and really overturn a lot of the enforcement of it. And he used the 10th Amendment and constitutional. He was an early patriot guy. Cool guy. But here's the problem. Uh, 99 times out of a hundred or maybe 199 times out of 200 or 999 times out of a thousand, the sheriff isn't on board. The sheriff's simply more authoritarian nonsense, right? And so I want to create an environment and inspire others to action whereby they don't need to elect a sheriff in order to secure their rights, whereby they don't need to have good guys in office in order to, um, exercise their freedom. And even when you say to enforce the Bill of Rights, like one thing a lot of people don't know, the Bill of Rights it actually has eminent domain in it, and the Fifth Amendment it actually not only does it say that you can't do eminent domain uh, if it's for private profit, right? But it's like eminent domain's a thing, and we're gonna give government the authority to do that, so. I love the Bill of Rights. It's a great document. It has benefited people and their relationship with government, and it can be used in civil rights cases and used to stand up against government encroachment. But I'm not interested in the U.S. Constitution, the Bill of Rights. I think we're beyond that. I think it's been clearly demonstrated that those documents don't really mean much to those in the political class and the enforcement class. And we need to, again, create an environment where we can exercise our freedoms our God-given, our natural freedoms, that without them having to be enumerated in some ignored document. That's just my thoughts. And that's what Freedom Cells hopes to accomplish. It hopes to create an institution that is capable of protecting the rights of those participating. Without having the politics to need to shift, without having to have a good guy in, in office as the sheriff, it's just, that's what we're doing because we're not waiting around for government to catch up. We're not waiting around for the public to agree with us. We're not waiting around for someone to be elected sheriff. That's just what we're trying to do. Theocrat responds, I figure since sheriff is the highest law enforcement officer in a county, officer in a county, he should declare all unconstitutional things invalid, including property and income tax. You can add to this for forced licensing insurance and everything else that violates the Bill of Rights. Well, You know, some of the licensing and insurance stuff doesn't even violate the Bill of Rights. If you are a literalist when it comes to the Constitution, the Constitution was meant to restrain the federal government. And under the Ninth and Tenth Amendment, the states actually have a whole lot of power to coerce you and and enforce stuff upon you. Now, you'll have to look at each state's individual Bill of Rights, but the legal system as it is, is set up and designed in a way where – State governments and city governments can really coerce you and control you and doing all sorts of different stuff. So that's what I'm talking about. Sabretooth says, hey, John, I'm with you. I'm either spoiling my ballot or not voting at all in the future. Waste of my time. Thanks for being one of the many who is waking peeps to the deceit. Right on. Well, thank you so much for for listening. So let's talk a little bit about the Trump and the Donald, because I am interested in I follow politics. I watch the debate. I Uh, watched some of Trump's rallies. Man, that guy's a good orator. And one thing that I will say is Trump is connected with his community and his followers and his supporters and the MAGA country, Make America Great Again country. He really knows how to get them excited and give them attention and give them energy. And if you watch some of these rallies that I give, man, the, the homeboy is all about it and he's a really good orator and like i said man he's he's exciting to watch really so at the end of the day if i were if i had a gun to my head and i had to choose between trump and biden i would most definitely uh prefer the trump presidency let's talk about some of the reasons why but again ultimately here's the challenge A lot of people are voting for Trump strategically because they see this whole big strain of communism and the radical left agenda and the globalism. And they think that he represents a departure from that. And then there's some of them that are like disillusioned and kind of not thinking critically and just totally buying into this whole Q thing. Like Trump is some savior that's going to what do they call it? There's a name that they call this big thing that's going to happen. And so um, I just want to point out that I, if I, if I had to choose, I would I would think that Trump would be preferable over Biden for a wide variety of reasons. But at the same time, I don't have to choose, and I'm not forced to. Trump is still a representative of authoritarianism, control, coercion, power at the federal level, um, empowering police, uh, law enforcement, Department of Homeland Security, all sorts of not good stuff. If your main value is individual liberty. When you contrast them to Joe Biden and the more left leaning Democrat, progressive communist policies, there seems to be a whole lot more desire to control the individual. A lot of different aspects of the individual's life that's coming out of the Democrat party right now. And so there are preferable policies. One of those policies, I just want to talk about some of the policies that I appreciate because I'll am ai be honest, I appreciate some of the stuff that Trump has done. I'm not such a anti-Trump screecher like a lot of folks on the left with Trump derangement syndrome where you just even talk about Trump favorably in the slightest bit or say oh that was a good move that they did and all of a sudden you're like racist Nazi it's absolutely nuts but you know one of the one of the best things to come out of the Trump presidency was massive tax cuts right I'm always pie in the sky talking about our agorist utopia but at the end of the day it's, it doesn't it's not going to be a utopia by the way but at the end of the day You know, there's a lot of people paying into the income tax system and to have a dramatic reduction, whether you're low, middle or high income. That's a very beautiful thing. And libertarians should most definitely support that. Taking money out of the hands of the federal government is a good thing. Letting people keep the fruits of their labor is a good thing. It's also a good thing for innovation and growth in the business sector. All of these are good things if you are a libertarian. If you are someone like me that subscribes the conspiratorial view of history, then it's a good thing to be pulling out of NAFTA. It's a good thing to be pulling out of this Paris Treaty Accord, whatever it is. These are all good things. These are representing representing power being brought back to the nation state away from the supranational government. And as we talked about, as I talked about in the last podcast, which was a throwback speech I did in 2012 about Agenda 21 and agorism. And as I talked about in the previous talk about Agenda 21, the Great Reset, a lot of what we're seeing taking place right now is all part of this conspiracy and NAFTA and the it was the Security and Prosperity Partnership back in 2005, uh, the effort to create a North American Union, right? All that stuff still happening. It's happening in stealth. That was according to their own documents. Uh, The merging of Asia and Europe and the United States and the Trilateral Commission vision, And all of these trade deals are part of the dismantling of U.S. sovereignty, right? Nation-state sovereignty. Again, it's all about individual sovereignty. That's where we need to go. But if you recognize, like I do, that a lot of the folks that are some of the most evil people in history, they have control over large, uh, over powerful institutions, and they're carrying forward their agenda to create this totalitarian global government. So when someone comes in and at least pulls that back, speaks out against it, not just talking but enacting policies that are rolling back some of those efforts because that's how the federal that's how the global government gets its tentacles into this into the nation states they don't have to pass laws through congress they have these agreements like agenda 21 for example which wasn't a treaty wasn't signed by the senate but now all of a sudden localities and states are following along with these policies carrying things out slowly but surely old Derek bros is on the scene Derek bros says did his tax cuts actually reach the average person I read that it didn't actually affect average people. So the bulk of the cuts were for folks that are higher income, right? But there's one particular example that I love to give that was close to me. My good friend, Justin Armand, he owns My Magic Mud, mymagicmud.com. This awesome tooth powder. They really revolutionized uh, the use of charcoal and dental care products. Now Colgate and all the other guys are doing it. They're having a hard time having to compete with these massive, massive Corporations that have been in the scene for quite some time, but they carved out a pretty significant footing and they're still doing well to this day, doing their best to navigate the COVID. But he grew a multi million dollar company internationally, him and his wife, and they were significantly benefited from the Trump tax cuts. And what they did in turn was give bonuses to all of their employees. So Whether low-income or low-to-middle-income families got a significant tax cut in the first place, I'm not going to say trickle-down economics or Reagan, but when free markets are allowed to function and there's business owners that are allowed to keep more of their money, they're able to allocate those resources towards other functions, hiring another person, opening a new plant, creating jobs, creating value. Essentially, that's what it comes down to no matter who gets the tax cut or not, if the money is being taken away from the parasitic class and it's being used to add value to other people's lives, even if it remains in the stock market, that eventually is used for some sort of investment, right? A lot of it's funny money and chicanery, but that's a good thing when it when the money's kept with the productive class and away from the parasitic political class, I would say. So that's something that I appreciate, right? And again, as I said before, I think that Trump is preferable to Biden because no matter what, how much of an anarchist I am, those kind of things will still ultimately affect me, right? Not as directly, not as much as you would think, but bigger picture, those things affect you. But I want to drive home and reiterate that at the end of the day, I have a choice to support that person or not, and I'm not going to support that person because ultimately my goal, my desire, my value is individual sovereignty, right? But, you know, it's like communism or fascism. It's, it's everyone's cut, just caught in this really tough spot that uh, that we need to snap out of. And the only way to snap out of it is to create a better vehicle, to create another ride, right? Another thing I thought was cool is there's this right to try legislation. So being in the Kratom industry, free ounce of Kratom.com, if you want to try some $5 shipping and handling. Being in the Kratom industry, I know that the FDA is onerous, burdensome. I've studied in detail the revolving door and the relationship between regulators and pharmaceutical heads and investment firm folks that focus on on pharmaceuticals. And I know how drugs can get caught up. So to give someone the right to even though it's not totally approved by the FDA, I'm doing air quotes as though that makes it safe somehow, even though it hasn't gone through the full on onslaught of clinical trials, people that have certain Uh, risks and that maybe are at the end of their life, given the right to try something like that. That's a good thing. So these were some good things that took place, I thought. Now, one thing, it's a good thing Derek Rose is watching too. Um, Trump pulled out of the World Health Organization, right? Which on the surface is a good thing. And the World Health Organization is one of these global bodies that's all part of this supranational government that's being set up along with the IMF, the United Nations, World Bank, uh, the International Criminal Court, But there was a sneaky little trick that took place whereby even though Trump pulled out of the World Health Organization and isn't going to be sending all this money to it, uh, he's still sending money through his administration to the GAVI, the vaccine alliance that Bill Gates is all up in and the Rockefeller Foundation is all up in. So I don't know if there was a play there or if he is not able to step out as far as he'd like to. Uh, I was just giving platitudes. I don't know what's going on there. But still, I, I would I think that Trump's anti-globalism, pro-nationalism, uh, I think that it's genuine. I don't think it's a huge trick that's being carried out on everyone. I think a lot of people often attribute um, omnipotence to the uh, globalists, to the internationalists, to the international bankers, that whole clique. They attribute omnipotence. It's entirely possible that something happened, even something as significant as the U.S. presidential election, that wasn't part of their paradigm or program. So I always want to challenge people not to give total omnipotence and assume that the powers that be or the powers that wish they were are in total control because they're not. And in fact, their control is slipping every day. They're also tightening their control. It's a paradox in reality. Uh, what does Derek have to say, but on the whole, it was mainly aimed at richer upper class folks, not the average American, like many people portray it to be on the whole. Yeah, that's who got the most significant tax cuts, but that's also who contributes most significantly. And at the end of the day, that's great still. And it's not like super rich. It's folks that were probably making like 200 K or 400 K, I think 400 K might be the number. And old Biden saying that he's not going to raise taxes for anyone, but I believe it's his intention to roll back the Trump tax cuts, which would in turn raise taxes. And again, there is, I think this is a Henry Hazlitt thing. There is that which is seen and that which is unseen. Okay. So which is what is unseen is that when rich folks, business owners, they that employ a bunch of people, right. And maybe make a million dollars a year as their income. And they have a $10 million business or on a smaller scale, the more money that they have to give to the government is the it's less money that can be used to invest, to pay this, to offer this, that, or the other. Right. And there are some businesses that are greedy and want to slight and short their employees and and will hold all the money to themselves. But there's also a whole lot of conscious capitalists that are looking to add value and know that employees or staff being happy helps to increase, helps to raise the ship for everybody. So Derek says, but do many of those upper-class folks, the 1% benefit from statism in the first place? Yes. Uh, The 1%, if you're going to go 1%, especially the 0.1 or 0.01%, they tend to be cartel capitalists, which is a term that I appreciated. Um, that I learned from None Dare Call It Conspiracy with Gary Allen, because everyone says corporatist, right? And capitalism isn't genuine free market capitalism or, or just private enterprise where people in, use investments, resources, capital in order to meet the needs and wants of consumers in order to make a profit, right? There's nothing unethical or wrong with that. But whenever you bring in the government and you get picker, picking winners and losers and favoring other people in a given industry... Then that's what I would call cartel capitalism, according to none dare call a conspiracy. So a lot of folks that make it all the way to the 1% end up being cartel capitalists. So uh, okay, so that's some of the things that I appreciate about Trump. But some of the things that I don't appreciate, oh, real quick, foreign policy. That's another departure. So you have the bill, you have the Bush Clinton crime family that have been in power for quite some time, and they have all adopted, they were all part of the neoconservative foreign policy. Uh, That is um, preemptive war, fighting wars on multiple fronts, uh, creating global, sorry, regional hegemony, regional dominance in the Middle East, securing the environment for pipelines to come about, blocking Russia and China from having significant influence in the region. Right. This was the neoconservative policy. Uh, since the 90s and beyond. And then the position, it was all set in place earlier after World War II. And and there are some smaller skirmishes during the Cold War. I guess Russia had a significant influence but got booted out of Afghanistan. But for 20 years, I mean, 1990, almost 30 years, it was the same foreign policy, right? And it got ramped up with 9-11 and Obama only further escalated it. Now, so that the, the problem with all of this analysis is that it's all just a big fraud and scam, scam at the end of the day, right? So Trump maybe beat up on the caliphate on ISIS, right, or ISIL, or, um, but that was all set in place and set into play by the previous presidencies and the involvement of the CIA, right? And then even before then, the Mujahideen, and it's all exploited. Trump ramped up the efforts in Syria, but at the end of the day... Yes, he's still a militarist. Yes, he has pumped a lot of money into the military industrial complex. Yes, he has created a lot of new, a lot of profits for war profiteers and stuff. Um, But there does seem to at least be a reduction in the Middle East presence, more so than the phony troop reductions that we saw under George Bush and the phony troop reductions we saw under Obama that has escalated. He talks about non-interventionist foreign policy. He talks about all sorts of stuff. So while there is a big military budget and while there is drone strikes and all that stuff taking place, there does seem to be a movement away from an increase in activities in the Middle East. Now, maybe this might be the maybe I think this might be what's taking place here. It could be a more practical Foreign policy rather than going in and beating up on weaker nations and investing all the resources and tying up all the resources in endless skirmishes in Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan, Libya, so to speak, there and while simultaneously blowing up the military budget, like like conscious resistance points out there in the chat, it could be a shift in focus away from the Middle East and towards preparing to either defend or aggress against one of the more powerful nation states like China, for example, in the case of Trump, right? Trump maybe de-escalated and kind of buddied up and cozied up to the Russians, but he most certainly has escalated things against China. And so when it comes to foreign policy, it is a preference to have someone that's not the same Bush Clinton crime thing. And I think there's a different tone and I think there's some different, strategies being put at play. But at the end of the day, you know, if it escalates into a World War III, then that most definitely would not help anyone in the least bit. But that's where we find ourselves at today. You know, and so there's some praise for some of Trump's policies. But at the end of the day, he's still an authoritarian, and I don't think that we ought to support him. This is all going to play out whether Trump gets in office or Biden gets in office. It's all going to play out at the end of the day, and there's still going to be more government, more control, um, more panopticon surveillance society, right? Um, And we as activists, we as direct action folks need to continue on our course, building the alternative, no matter what happens, no matter who is in power. But there's just something I got, you know, there's something about old Joe Biden and Democrats that that the controlling the desire to control. Right. It's control in different areas, Republicans and Democrats. But there seems to be more of an onerous control, more of a micromanaging nanny state. There's like a feminine control compared to the paternalistic control that you see oftentimes from the right and from Trump, like which is more aggressive and abusive. But the nanny state is more micromanaging and. Getting involved in all sorts of different aspects of your life, like healthcare, for example. So, definitely would like to see a move away from controlling all of the healthcare, making everything more expensive, requiring all sorts of this, that, and the other, and towards more free markets and healthcare. Same thing when it comes to education. Bush, of course, was a fraud with the No Child Left Behind thing, right? But we see the Obama and the Clinton and the Biden family wants to increase funding and really prop up the public schools when we may see technology and innovation shifting away from that entire paradigm. And then another thing I want to contrast is the handling of COVID or the how someone says they would handle COVID. So Trump's handling of COVID was relatively hands-off. Remember early on, it was like 14 days to slow the spread. It wasn't we're forcing a national lockdown. We are rolling out this, that or the other. Right. He did get pressured into use a lot, utilizing the Military Defense Production Act or whatever it's called, which is hardcore fascism and not good for anyone controlling entire industries. But it was more of a hands off approach rather than using the executive in order to bash on the states and cities. And that's how federalism should work. Right. Different states have different outbreaks. Different states have different values. Different states have different rulers. So there should be an experimentation and a whole hodgepodge of different styles that get carried out, not a one size fits all top down. And a lot of the rhetoric from Trump surrounding COVID, specifically him saying, don't be afraid of COVID. Don't let it dominate your life. That is most definitely something that I resonate with as well. And that I see so many people letting it dominate their life and the fear dominating their life. And here we have, I just want to play a clip real quick where it appears that old Biden does tend to favor mandatory vaccines. Now, at least he says he wasn't, he's not going to force it through the executive. At least that's what he says. You never know. Because right? at the end of the day, the federal government doesn't have the authority to do such a thing. But some state governments have given themselves the authority through emergency legislation, and that's not a good thing. But here's what, oh, let me just play this clip real quick for you, and another contrast. But again, the Trumpster, everyone's like, Trump's anti-vaccine. Trump's never going to be for mandatory vaccine, but he plans to utilize the military in order to distribute the vaccine. Right, So I guess it remains to be seen if he's using the military because they are a mechanism of force and coercion or is using the military so he as the commander in chief can have control over the rollout from manufacturer to distribution rather than like handing it out to the states or some other NGOs or whatever to manage. It remains to be seen. But either way, that's not a good thing. And this whole Operation Warp Speed, what that shows me is that even if Trump was genuinely anti-vax, or vaccine skeptical, or he believes that COVID isn't largely over-exaggerated, right? I believe that he's, even if that's the case, which I don't think it is, he's selling that out for political favor, right? For political gain, because that's what it's been. We want to ha- he wants to have the vaccine before the election. So all these people will be like, thank you for saving us. We just got bombarded with all this fear. Thank you so much for saving us. That's not what, what's happening. Um, so, he has sold out if that is his belief in order to gain votes so it's like what else would he do that for but contrast that with this goofball over here will you mandate its use
1: the answer is depending on how clear there's vaccines they say have a very positive impact and they're going to affect positively 85 percent of the American public. Or there's others say this vaccine is really the key. This is this is this is the golden key. It depends on the state of the nature of the vaccine, when it comes out and how it's being distributed. That would depend on. But I would think that we should be talking about depending on the continuation of the spread of the virus, we should be thinking about making a mask. How could you enforce that? Well, you couldn't. That's the problem. Just like you you can't enforce measles. You can't come to school unless you have a measles shot. You know, you can't. But you can't say everyone has to do this. But you would just like you can't mandate a mask. But you can say, you can go to every governor and get them all in a room, all 50 of them as president, and say, ask people to wear the mask. Everybody knows. And if they don't, fine. and they don't no, not fine. Then I go to every governor. I go to every mayor. I go to every councilman. I go to every local official say mandate the mask, man. Say, this is what you have to do when you're out. Make sure you encourage it being done.
0: All right. There's old Joe Biden saying he would pressure mayors and governors to have a mandatory vaccine. And of course we, we know how this is going to roll out. It may not be mandatory per se, but it's going to be a taking away of privileges. You can't fly, you can't work here. You can't go into this grocery store, so on and so forth. Trump has indicated that he's not for mandatory vaccine, but like we, like he said numerous times, he's going to have the military supported. So his whole operation warp speed has all sorts of cartel capitalism involved. It has a, ramping up of vaccines, putting faith in the vaccines. But then again, at the same time, he's pushing therapeutics, right? So it's my opinion that it's not a play. I would like to think that Donald Trump is genuine in what he is pushing, right? And bros over earlier here said it's a different branch of the new world order. I don't think it's there's all sorts of different families and factions within the overall Anglo-American establishment. That actually might be one faction, the Anglo-American establishment, which rose out of the Milner Group and the Cecil Rhodes Scholarships, Council on Foreign Relations, International Institute of Royal International Institute of International Affairs. I believe that is a faction. The neoconservative faction uh, and the Warhawks and Wolfowitz and Cheney, that whole faction, I believe that's an element of that, but it has a lot of military-industrial complex ties, right? And then there was this old Yankee liberal Democrat Kennedy faction versus the Southern LBJ, right? There's this old Yankee cowboy war story. I think that Trump is an elitist billionaire that obviously has all sorts of influence and control, but I don't think that it's part of, I don't think that he goes to the meetings and he's part of that crew. I think that there's an element of once you take the position of power, the shadow government exists. Like Jesse Ventura talked about when he was made governor, literally the CIA came in and sat him down and was like, here's how things are going to go. I think there's an element of that. And, but you know, how hard can you buck the system if that's what you were put in power to do? Maybe that's what you ought to have done instead of putting in the Trilateral Commission and the Council on Foreign Relations and Bilderbergers. All right, we're going over an hour here. One of the biggest things that i want to say real quick that i appreciate about old donald is how he really sticks it to the media and he has eroded faith not only he eroded faith in the election but he's really eroded faith in the faux fourth branch of the government the mainstream media he seems to almost entirely have just almost ko'd cnn and now i've noticed he's going after msnbc And so we need to recognize one of the most powerful mechanisms of control that the globalist, internationalist enemies of liberty has is social engineering, social conditioning, uh, manipulation, brainwashing through the mainstream media, which so many people tune into. And so one thing I definitely appreciate about Trump is how he really has stuck it to the media, created all sorts of doubts and just put it on total blast. So I think that's a beautiful thing. And then we also see big tech going against and censoring all sorts of stuff. I think Trump's going to take action on that as a free market anarchist. I don't think that he ought to, because those are private businesses, but it's a crazy world we live in. Let me sum up, because I seem to have just praised Trump for the past 20 minutes. Um, I want to point out that the whole game is a big show, And at the end of the day, if we value freedom, if we value liberty, we ought to focus on creating and building that free society that we all deserve, that we all yearn for. If we get caught up in putting our faith in politicians, putting our faith in the institution of government as a means of bringing about societal change, then we're going to be caught in the cycle A problematic cycle, a cycle that has us abrogating our responsibility and control and sovereignty over our own lives. And that's not a good way to go. So at the end of the day, if (laughs) I would encourage you not even to participate in the least bit in this total dog and pony show institution, if you're not forced to give your credence, give your consent, give any tacit consent whatsoever, passive or not, Uh, I don't think you should. I think we should stay as far away from this institution of government as possible. Sit back, have some popcorn, and enjoy the dog and pony show and prepare for what's to come because I have a feeling November is going to be a really nasty month and it's possible that this election doesn't get decided for uh, two to three months or longer and it gets tied up in the Supreme Court. And in that time, there's going to be a whole lot of civil unrest. So if you check out some of the other podcasts I did, I did one at length with civil unrest and why I think it's going to be... pretty ugly and more importantly, as I like to do, I gave some solutions and some tips. So things are going to get nuts. Um, Derek bro says he's the ugly face of politics. Finally revealed fuck the dogs and ponies. That's right. You know, as things deteriorate and become more of a shit show and you have this different person get involved, that is brash and nasty and tells it like it is, that is only going to serve to erode people's confidence and faith. So Maybe we'll see fewer people vote than ever. I don't know, but I do know that government is a total failure. And thanks to internet and connectivity, people are starting to think outside of the ballot box. And that gives me hope for the future. All right, this is John Bush signing out. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Live Free Now show, bringing you news, views, tips, and tools you can use. Live Free, prosperous and healthy life uh, subscribe to the podcast show. now if you excuse me i'm gonna go take a shower because i think i was too steeped in politics i feel dirty now i'm out thanks see ya